You're tuned into 9 to 5 Work Rebels with your host, Ebony Gale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gems in Comms series special brought to you by 9 to 5 Work Rebels podcast in association with Hanson Search, the award-winning international exec search consultancy. So I am your host, Ebony Gale, and today I am really excited to be speaking with a colleague of mine, that is Ngozi Imagi, Director of Communications for Data Analytics at the London Stock Exchange Group, LSEG, also known as. So welcome, Ngozi. Hello, lovely to be here. I'm so happy to have you here, Sue. So for those who are watching, I know Ngozi from being on the Women in PR Committee. So I was on the committee when she joined. And now she is VP, so go you. Love it. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. (laughs) Trying to change the world, all of that. All of that, exactly. (laughs) I was like, myself and Sarah were the first ones of colour, and we're like, yes, let's welcome loads more on it. It's amazing to see. And you open the door, and now there's a few. There's more. I'm so happy to see so more. So so happy. But anyway, I wanted to tell you about this podcast and what it's about. The idea is that we are giving our flowers to people of colour in the industry that are doing great things, like yourself. So it's more of a kudos to you guys, but also like let's get into, you know, nitty gritty of what it's like working in the industry. So tell us about yourself and what you do. Um, so my name is Ngozi Margi and I work at the London Stock Exchange. So I look after the uh, corporate comms for data and analytics. So uh, London Stock Exchange bought a company called Refinitiv in early 2021. Um, and that makes up the data and analytics part of the London Stock Exchange. So that's the area that I kind of focus on. And it's more, mainly uh, corporate co- communications. OK, cool. And so have you always wanted to work in comms? No, actually. Um, I think, I mean, my, I feel like my entry to communications was really quite random. So I started off in the operations, uh, in operations role at Goldman Sachs. And um, I think after a few years, I had I decided that it wasn't really for me. I wanted to kind of move on and try something different. So I spoke to loads of friends in like loads of different industries. Um, and I had a friend who worked in another agency, uh, so a financial communications agency. And she told me about the wonderful world of communications and um, about what she was doing. So I spoke to quite a few people that worked in agencies and decided that it sounded like something I'd want to get into. So um, cool. went for a few interviews and yeah. By my first role in a financial communications agency. Oh, that's interesting. So mm-hmm. I was going to say, well, what is it that actually attracted you to comms? Was it the fact that you worked on campaigns? Like, what was it that made you think, oh, this is where I want to go? I think it was the mix of loads of different things, actually, to be honest. So it was, I guess, the idea that I would be working um, or with financial services companies. So that was my speciality when I kind of moved into, um, when I moved into communications. I also liked the the idea that I would be working with clients. So I liked that personable part of PR. Um, and I think that's probably been a key thing for me. So the fact that you actually are encouraged to kind of go out and network and build relationships with just the, with the media and also with potential clients and that kind of thing. So that really attracted me to the industry. And I think that was probably the key driver for me um, okay. to kind of move away. Ah, sounds interesting. That, that is a good driver as well, because you're just thinking there's so much to do, isn't there? So yeah. it makes complete sense. So I oh, and the writing, I have to say. The writing piece go. for me was huge, because yeah. I absolutely yeah. love writing, so that too. 
Oh, cool. So did you do writing at uni? Was you like, did you do like an English degree or something like that? Oh my, just so you say, saying that I wanted to do an English degree, coming from a Nigerian background, coming from, you know, having Nigerian parents, yes. I was to do an English degree. They thought it was too fluffy. But did that they? was 100%, which wow. I think is crazy. That but, is um, crazy. No, but um, no, I wanted to. And that was my, my, my favourite subject at school. So, um, oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's too I think that is so funny. Right? I ended up doing economics. They actually thought that was fluffy too, because they're, my, so my dad's a doctor, my mum's a lawyer. And so they wanted a professional degree. Yeah, but, um, of course. Yeah. yeah, I've got a few friends like that. And the aunties are like, no, it's got to be law. Oh, you doctor. Okay. <laughs> and like very stringent on that. I'm like, okay. So yeah. English is fluffy. I think that is so funny. <laughs> so, okay interesting so lived experiences I want to touch into this a little bit right so what I always ask everyone who comes on is the question about you know when did you become aware of your ethnicity now for this it might sound like a strange question for some but for people of color it isn't necessarily a strange question because you know the skin you're born into like you know I know I was born into a Caribbean family but um for me it became really really um oh, I became aware of it when I was going to secondary school and then I heard about a group called Chelsea Smilers who'd go and cut a smile in your face with a razor blade or a knife um, if you're a brown person, you know, black or brown. So if you're melanated, basically, you were off target. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that was my point going to secondary school, you know, 11 years old, a bit like, whoa, scared, just thinking and quite aware that someone wants to just harm me because of the color of my skin. Yeah. So that was my kind of moment. What about you? That's a really interesting question, actually. I, I kind of feel like it happened, probably happened for me a lot later. Um, so I went to a Catholic school and I think in my Catholic in the school, there were quite a few people of colour. So quite a few black people, quite a few, you know, other ethnicities there. So it wasn't, I guess my race was never really never really an issue just wasn't you know it wasn't a thing and I even think when I first started my first job it wasn't really a thing obviously as you know I, I knew I was black obviously yeah, but it wasn't ever I don't think it I ever felt like it was detrimental to me in any way it was a negative to me in any way I didn't feel like it held me back in any way um even in my first role uh so I was at Goldman Sachs I mentioned that before uh, American Bank, where they were probably ahead of the curve when it came to kind of pushing diversity and inclusion and, you know, inclusive workforce and, and that kind of thing. Um, so they had, you know, a black comms network and there were loads of black people from you know, in my opinion. So that was great. I think probably the first time I noticed it was when I started in communications mm. um, and realizing that it was an industry whereby hardly anyone looked like me yeah. um, and that, I guess to do well, as I mentioned, it was all about networks. It was all about knowing people. And I guess the people that you had to kind of build these relationships with were people that I had never come across before because of, I guess, where I was from, my education, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and they all did not, they, I guess they all, none of them had the same upbringing as me. None of them looked like me, as I said. Um, so I think that was probably the first time I really noticed that I was different yeah. and that I was, that I was Black. Okay. Um, and I guess in a way whereby I felt like it was potential uh, a potential barrier to me doing well, I think. Okay, okay, interesting. Mm. And that's interesting that you went so long without it. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Okay, well, that's great. <laughs> so have you ever felt like your race or ethnicity has held you back in your career so far? Um, so I feel like it, at some points it hasn't given me the the 
hasn't given me the opportunities as, as it's potentially given other people. And I will say, I guess, as I, as I mentioned, kind of coming into, commu- into communications and maybe not having some of those relationships that other people have. I think I noticed. Um, so, for instance, I, I know there are, there are a lot of people that worked with me in my first role that kind of knew people who were in the media because they, you know, went to school with them or it was a friend of a family member or, you know, yeah. things like that. And I didn't have those connections. My, you know, my, my family was completely different. As I said, pro- professionals just kind of, you know, moved in different circles. So I kind of found that that in that way, um, yeah, I, I kind of felt like I, it was it was a it was a barrier of some sort. And I also think maybe not having anyone to kind of look up to that looked like me was also quite difficult yeah. um, when I first started my career. So looking around me and, see, and not seeing many people that look like me in senior positions. And I think that that can probably have a uh, an impact okay. to kind of your psyche and, and thinking about how far you can get in the industry if nobody if nobody that's, you know, senior has done well actually looks like you. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I think in, in those ways, it's, it's probably been a, um, it was probably a barrier, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good point you make. It's so important to see what, you know, see your own likeness and others 100%. that are doing really great. So it helps to inspire you, doesn't it? So 100%. And I don't think I realised that until I kind of moved into, into this industry, to be honest. I, I realised yeah. how important it was and how important it has been for me throughout my life, actually seeing people who look like me in my different, in my different, in different areas of my life. So yeah, so, so yeah. important. Good point. Absolutely. So have you ever experienced or witnessed racism in the workplace? And if so, how was it handled? Oh, have I ex- ever experienced or witnessed racism? I'd say yeah. Um, I guess I'll give you an example that wasn't in a, in the workplace as such, but at a work event. Okay. So when I started at um, when I started in insurance, we went to a um, we went to a a work event. Um, it was I think it was an awards ceremony or something like that. Um, and myself and my then boss, who was also black, um, were approached by um, a gentleman who um, had started up uh, a charity to kind of go into inner city um, schools um, to kind of talk to, to uh, black kids around, you know, career options and how you progress in the workplace and that kind of thing. So all of these, all of these kids, um, they were inner cities, they were in inner city schools, the schools, um, probably weren't the best schools but you know um, kind of stuff yeah never again disadvantaged youth exactly exactly um so he approached myself and my boss and he said I would like you to come and speak in these schools which you know we were happy about and he was like um I want you to tell your personal experience about how you manage to um thrive from an inner city school and how you manage to kind of make your way through um, to your current role. And I guess for me, I, I looked at him and I thought, I guess the intent is great. Like it's, you know, it's amazing that you're, what you're doing, it, you know, you're trying to go right in the schools. Exactly. It yeah. was the assumption that, assumption that you look at me and assume that you know my background. You, ex- you assume you know where I come from and what my story is without me actually telling you. Yeah. Um, and so that for me was mind blowing. And that kind of opened my eyes, I think, to my interactions with people within that industry. Because I was thinking, is this going to be uh, a situation whereby people look at me and they believe that they know who I am before they actually before they actually know anything about me? 
Yeah. And I thought that was, was quite interesting. It was quite interesting. That is an interesting one. Did, did you end up pushing back on the whole inner city school thing and say, well, actually, I, I did. Went to public school. Yeah, absolutely. I did. I did. I did. His mind. Because that happens. 100%. I feel like people make snap decisions just like that. And they'll exactly. look at you and think, oh, okay, she must be from a hard background. Yes. A single parent. Potentially, yes. that, you know, they just start rewriting your story. You're like, well, hang on, that's not me. You know? I have not had a conversation to you about who I am. So please yeah. wait until I do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but that's an interesting example. Yeah. You know, and that was subtle, really subtle with the yes. racism, right? Because the example yeah. that I always use is when I used to work for um, the General Medical Council. I used to work in their press office. Um, and I remember getting a call from a doctor. Uh, I was helping him out with some stuff. And then at the end, he was like, oh, what's your name? I said, oh, yes, Ebony. Ebony, are you coloured? And I was like, whoa, uh, no, I'm black. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, like, I was taken aback. And his, yeah. his response was, my God, you sound so professional. So, again, wow. because you sound yeah. well-spoken, you cannot be a person of colour. So it's those sort of, you know, blatant yeah. racism, and in your case, the kind of microaggression that yeah. he had in that assumption that he made. Yeah. So it's... It's fascinating. And it's always trying to compliment you and, yeah. and you know. Yeah, with, with racism. It's, with racism. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, you're trying to say, I sound really good. It's like, oh, but with racism. So it's like, um, and with other racism, so it's like coloured. I was like, no, that's a term that really drives me mad. So I'm like, I am not purple or green, you know. So, yeah. Absolutely. I'm black and it's okay to say. <laughs> okay to say. Okay to say. Also, you know, I prefer if you said, are you melanated? That would never come out now. <laughs> I would like that. <laughs> But yeah, oh, <laughs> those things. so again, so obviously that was the time that you experienced it, you could say, and yeah. obviously you handled it yourself because clearly, you know, you were able to kind of push back, right? Yeah, exactly. So has there ever been a time where you wish you spoke up about something or a time when you did speak up and maybe self-advocate or advocate for someone else? Um, so I think probably, I would, probably an example would be probably in, so in a company that I've worked for um, where there was an individual talking about um, there was an individual talking about Asian people okay in, in a very derogatory way okay um, and she's quite a senior person right um, and obviously making comments where she kind of wanted validation from the people around her. Right. And obviously I was there and being very junior, didn't say anything. Yeah, of um, course. You would have felt a bit like of, uncomfortable, right? Exactly. Just kind of, you know, um, yeah, I mean, didn't obviously didn't laugh. I didn't go, didn't go along with it, but it was very, mm. you know, it, I didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, and I kind of look back in that situation. I feel like agencies took a while to kind of come to... Um, to understand how important it was to to embrace diversity and inclusion and to to, to embrace that that ag- agenda. Yeah. And I kind of feel like I wish I had been more vocal just around um, helping them to understand that even though there is no Indian person within this room, you can't talk about different races like that, right? Yeah. In front, of, in front, well, generally ever, yeah. but in front, definitely in front of you know other people of color. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, I, I kind of feel like I wish I'd been a lot more confident in my youth and kind of tried to push that a lot earlier. And I think I did, you know, I have done in recent years. Yeah. But I think that obviously starting out in your in your, um, in your first role is quite, is quite a difficult thing. That's going to be daunting. Do. Yeah. Yes, and absolutely. Exactly. It's not necessarily your position either to have to police exactly. people. And I think that's one thing that I like to make the point of. For people of colour, you know, we are born in the skin we're in. You know, it's not our jobs to actually teach people how to not be racist. But exactly. obviously when we see things that are wrong, we can speak up if we feel yeah. comfortable. But again, exactly. in that situation, it's completely yeah. understandable. You wouldn't want to yeah. say anything in that situation, but you, yeah. you, it would stick with you as a moment of, my goodness, can you yeah. believe he said that or he said that? Yeah. 100%. And I think probably an example that I'd probably given in more recent time was after the Black Lives Matter movement. So um, I was at an organisation. I was really keen to kind of say something about it um, Uh you know, on social media, publicly, on behalf of the organisation, just to say that, you know, we, we you know, we support black people, we support the black people of our organisation, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and there was real pushback. There was real pushback about, about being public and being so, so um, about it. supportive and yeah. being so vocal. Um, yeah. At a time when actually a lot of companies were being quite vocal I, I thought so it was, I guess it, it was for me it was it was a safe space because you know a lot of companies were doing that yeah absolutely um so I mean I got, kind of had a rant about it for a moment then kind of moved on but definitely wish it was something that I had pushed and I had um I had made sure we kind of did because yeah. I look back on that now and I think it's probably something I shouldn't have let go um and or or I should have had concrete reasons as to why it wasn't possible um, well actually you should just have support Really? Yeah. Have I should have had to have pushed back on this sort of issue because I mean exactly. everyone was jumping on that bandwagon. It got to the point where I thought, oh my God, if I've seen another black square, like, you guys better make some difference in your actual policies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, 100%. What's about putting a black square up I mean, make sure it filters through. But at least they were trying, you know, exactly. other than just being mute on it. So I feel like you had the right intentions. So don't exactly. knock yourself on that one. That was yeah. their missed opportunity. You did bring it to them. So yeah. you know. <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> but I wanted to move on to uh code switching right because I think this yes. is interesting um you know I feel like we all code switch I'm sure you know you've got your white counterparts they might code switch as well but I'm speaking of it from a black perspective and I know that um we code switch sometimes in different areas right which is fine yeah. but the question is do you feel we can actually lead with our authentic voices in the workplace Oh, that's such an interesting question because I still feel like I'm code switching. Um, but I, I still, but what I will say is that I feel like I do it a lot less often. And I will say that I have found a way to be authentic while still code switching, if that, yeah. makes, that makes sense. That makes sense, it does. Um, so, sorry, re- remind me what your question was My again. Question was, <laughs> I feel like we can lead with our authentic voice in the workplace. Okay. We can code switching, essentially. Okay, so yeah, so I do think we can actually. So I think it took me a while to learn that, and I think that that it has been, I guess, through my experiences with with different organisations, but also in coming into contact with certain men- mentors who have really opened my eyes about how to succeed in the workplace. I I honestly think the only way that you can be happy and succeed and do really well is to be your authentic self. I don't think you can be anything else. Um, you're in the workplace for such a long, such a long period of the day. If you are constantly, if you're constantly code switching, if you're constantly, you know, holding back, then I think it is really, it's really detrimental to you, to your mental health. And I don't think it, 
you know, I don't think it benefits any, any of you um, or anybody. But what I would say is, I guess, understand how, what I have done, I guess, in, the, in recent years is kind of understand how to engage and how to connect with people on levels that make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I guess when I go into an environment, if everyone's talking about football and that's not my thing, or if everyone's, you know, talking about certain things that I don't have a connection with, I'm not going to try and, I'm not going to try and meet you where you are. I'm not going to try and kind of connect on that level with you. Yeah. What I will do is try and find something that we both share and try and connect on that level. And so I feel like I've done more of that in recent years. And I feel like that has really worked for me. Yeah. I can only be myself, you know, in, in situations, but I feel like I will, I'm trying to kind of meet you where I am yeah. and trying to kind of build a connection with you based on the things that I know and that, you know, yeah. are true and are true of me, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah. I think that's great advice as well, actually. Yeah. It's about building a connection back where you are, because you do feel yeah. like that sometimes depending on the work environment you're in and how, you know, how nurturing it is and whether you can really be your authentic self. I still mm-hmm. believe that we're going to have an element of co-switching. I just think that's just natural. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you want to get to the point where you, you know, you can relate with people on a, a level that you can relate to them with. And then you made the, po- the, made the point, you know, really, really perfectly. You articulated it well. So I agree with you on that. So the next question I have for you is about uh, becoming aware of the colour bias in PR and comms. Like, when did you become aware? Is it as soon as you kind of entered the industry or was it because when you started networking a bit more? Like for me, it was when I uh, started doing more networking and, for example, went to even join Women in PR because I was like, wow, it's a sea of white women. And I just wasn't expecting it to be that much. Obviously, I knew the stats because I had always been like in-house or working with my own clients. You know, you don't always see the optics until you're in an environment like that. So for me, it was definitely when I first came into the industry. I, I guess, as I said, I was working in uh, at Goldman's beforehand, and there was a lot of black people. There was a lot of black people, and so it wasn't, you know, it was never a thing whereby I thought I was the only. Right. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, for me, it was just like it was. It was quite. I, I was quite used to being. I was quite used to working with a lot of people who looked like me. Right. I come into communications, and I'm like, oh. Literally, <laughs> nobody looks like me here. This is very, very strange. And I guess it wasn't just my organization because in my head I was thinking, well, it's a small organization. Maybe it's the fact that it's a small organization. And if I look outside, um, then I will potentially find people who look like me and, you know, and I'll find the diversity there. Right. But I guess it was it for me. It was it was everything. It was, you know within my organization it was the media it was um it was other agencies it was in-house it was I feel like there was limited limited diversity and it's definitely gone a lot better now I do I do feel like I I can find you know there are quite a few of us now I would say obviously not as many as there should be or there needs to be but I think that there are there are more of us but um I'd say as soon as I came to the industry industry it was probably my one of my first realizations that there was not a lot of diversity wow. um yeah interesting so. though but it's because yours was almost straight away so yeah absolutely you're met it with it like a bit more stark for you i take it yeah 100%. So, what are your thoughts on allyship and what does it mean for you and like what to you is a good example of allyship because i feel like you know there's lots of talk around what allies look like and who's a good ally so what does yeah. it mean for you so i think Allyship is important, definitely. Um, 
but I think that people have to do more than just talk. I think it has to be action. And I guess the um, the the best example of allyship that I know that I have personally experienced is probably it, an agency I worked for. Um, and the CEO of the agency was fantastic. I thought he was he was wonderful. Um, he's an Irish guy. Pretty obvious who it is. This was my last agency, but I thought he was he was a great example of what I think allyship should be, because he, as I said, I guess when I first joined the agency, I guess when I first joined communications, I think one of the things I noticed was that the networks were close to me because I didn't have certain I didn't go to certain schools or I didn't have family connections or that kind of thing. And what I will say about this particular individual is that he was very good at opening his networks to to other people. So, and it wasn't just for me, it was I saw him do it, you know, to other people within the organization, but he would invite you to things. He would would, um, introduce you to people. He was very active at doing that. And I think think that for me was, was was really key and really stuck in my mind because I thought you can, you can, you know, talk about supporting people and supporting a group of people where you like, but ultimately what are the particular issues that this, these group of people that you're supporting, what are the particular issues that they face and how can you help them with those issues? And for me, that was huge because networks is an issue. And if you are being active about opening your networks to people, then that is a barrier that completely, you know, that gets broken down by just a very simple action. And so yeah, as I said, stuck in my head. I thought yeah. I think he's great. I will sing his praises. You know, all that's brilliant though. That's, he makes a conscious effort to do that. Conscious so effort. that's that's brilliant. You know, yeah. and he's helping to forge those networks. So that exactly. yeah, I like that. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> so another question I have for you, Ngozi, is about you know what actually motivates or inspires you to keep going at the moment. Um. So I would say it would be certain family members. So I'd say my motivations are definitely my children. I've got two girls. Yeah. And um, for me, I want to be a role model and I want them to see success. And I want them to see success within a, within a family, within a home, and I want them to see success within a workplace. And so I think making sure that I... Um, a role model to them keeps me on the, on the days that I guess I'm like, Oh God, I'm so tired. I can't continue. I think those are the days that I, I definitely just kind of keep pushing through because I just, yeah, I, I, I need them to see an example. And I guess it's back to us. It's back to our talking about representation. I don't know what my kids are going to do. They could do anything, you know, it's fine by me, but I think for them to see a woman who has had children who is black mm-hmm. who has succeeded who's done really well is really important to me yeah um because I want them to know what the possibilities are you know I know I want them to know that you know if they work hard that they can achieve anything Absolutely. and so that definitely motivates me and I think what inspires me is my mother because she has been that role model to me I think she had four children um you know came here from Nigeria where she studied law, had to kind of redo her law degree um, when, when she came to the UK, opened up her own law firm and was just killing it. And then came back and used to cook for us. And we used to have like, you know, home cooked meals every night. And there were four of us. It was just, you know, it was a very busy household, but I kind of 
feel like she was also one of those mums who was also always present. So yeah. I, now I look back and I think, how did she manage to do that? I've only got two kids and I still feel like it's a challenge. Like, every single day. <laughs> yeah. But my mum knew everything that was going on in everybody's life. She was always at you, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Hit, but yeah, she had such a successful career. So I think that for me is inspiring. And I really want to kind of make her proud too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's lovely. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's lovely. I mean, it's nice when your children motivate you. I think that's so important. You know, Definitely. mother to mother, I get that completely. <laughs> so, what did you find uh, most challenging so far on your journey? Um, on my career journey. Yeah. Um, so, what would I say most challenging so far? Um, I would actually say the representation thing for me was huge, actually. So, so I would say um, coming into comms and feeling like a complete outsider yeah. and feeling like not not being a hundred percent sure that there was there was a role for me in ten years because I didn't see anybody else in the industry that had done it and who, that had succeeded. So um, the representation issue, really, I think that was the first, and because it was the first time and I was a few years into my career at that point, mm. it was, I think it was a stark, um, it, it, that was for me um, and how important that was for me to, under, to, to be able to kind of be motivated within the industry. Because I think yeah. once I did find people who were, and obviously there aren't, still aren't many, but once I did find people who were doing well, um, and who did look like me, it kind of put a different mindset in the whole career progression. Yeah. I was like, it's possible, I can do it, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I found that I found that really challenging, actually. Um, I could understand that. No, yeah. definitely. No, it makes sense. I, I can completely get that. And then um, moving it into the sort of the employer realm, you know, as a person of colour, a black woman in the industry, what is it that you want from your, your employer? And for you, what makes a good working environment? Oh, interesting. Um, what do I want from my employer? Um, I guess I want my employer to really see me and I guess the, the, um, the skills that I bring to the table. Um, so I think understanding who I am understanding what my skills are and therefore what opportunities would be good for me, I think is great. Cause I, I kind of feel like sometimes when you're in an organization, when you're in a role, um, it's all about that role and how you do that role well. Um, but for me, what I would love for my employer to kind of do is think about me as, as I guess, as a product and how, how not only can I do that role well, what are the other things within the organization that I can also do well? So, you know, stretch products and yeah. uh, getting involved in, you know, diversity and inclusion or getting involved in, you know, different areas of the business, I think, yeah. um, where possible, I think, is, is would, would be great. Um, so what was your second question? So the second question was more about, um, was what do you want from your employer and what makes a good working environment? What makes a good working environment? Um I mean, I say that because of the fact that there's all this drive about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, yeah. which is great. But, you know, for me, retention is a key factor. And yeah. so there could be things that employers could be missing. You know, like I feel like some people just have policies, but, you know, if you just have a policy and you don't actually change your behaviour or your culture, yeah. you're not going to yeah. retain anybody. 
Yeah, no, I see that. Um, I think, I guess, treating people like adults is huge for me. So flexibility is huge. Um, So understanding that you you employ people for a reason, you employ people that you should trust and that you should should know are capable to do a role. Um, So I guess, therefore, if, you know, someone needs to kind of go off and pick up a child or, you know, do something outside work, um, I think that that should be, that that should be supported and absolutely I guess people's other other areas of interest or other you know responsibilities should be acknowledged and should be supported so I guess being treated like an adult I always find that when when companies are quite flexible in that way um they retain staff a lot more I think absolutely agree with you um, yeah. yeah. So, so I think that's I think that's a huge that's a huge point. And you know, I guess like talking not not just talking the talk, but walking the walk, right? I think yeah. that um, everyone kind of harps on about diversity inclusion now. I think all organisations do. But I think that there has to be there has to be um, you know a dis- there has to be some obvious and tangible things that companies are doing to kind of retain diverse staff and to recruit diverse staff. And I think that I would love to see. I, I love to see that when I'm in organisations. I think that that is, is really important. So, for instance, um, at LSEG, they have a, a training programme that is dedicated to ethnic minorities. I love that. Brilliant. You know, I, I love that. Exactly. That they and that really helps to create the equity part, the fairness exactly. part, because, you know, oh, they always have the access to these things. So, very 100%. important. Yeah. So, now I appreciate you sharing that as well. And I agree. I don't, I, one thing, I detest micromanagement. And yes. I feel like you need to empower your staff. And, you know, trust your staff. They are qualified adults, so we need to let people understand that. So, yeah, those sort of things are my bugbear. Absolutely, definitely. <laughs> and then, huge. I suppose last year around that is, uh, what does diversity, equity, inclusion look like uh, to you? I suppose you know it's a, it's a simple question, but what does it look like uh, to you? And I suppose you just gave an example where you're, you've got your company that are actually have. Uh, training that are specifically for people of colour. Amazing. Yeah, Yeah, it is amazing. But what I would say is that I think that diversity and inclusion means different things to me at different points, I think. So I think at this point now, because we're in a situation whereby we are, you know, trying to improve the levels. We are trying to improve diversity within organisations. I think that things like training programmes for ethnic minorities is great. It's wonderful. I think it's something that we need at this point. What I would love to see and like, you know, I don't know whether I'm being optimistic by saying 20 years, but what I would love to see is all of, you know, these programs and, you know, um, diversity inclusion roles for all of those to just not be needed. To just be, we are living in a world whereby we actually, you know, we don't need it. Exactly. I know. It's just a fair organization. Yeah. I mean, that is like the dream, isn't it? It is. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Just like no more having to talk about this anymore because that's how it should be. But it's just, you know, a natural thing. And I hope that by the time my kids are in, you know, working, that that is what, I mean, if I talk to them about diversity and inclusion programs and things like that, I hope they're like, what? Like, yeah, but then, yeah. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> what that's crazy. That? Exactly. Old school. Exactly. Like, it's so <laughs> old school, man. Like, I really hope that that is what they are saying to me. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be a perfect world, wouldn't it? That would be perfect. That would be. But I'm going to move you into your proudest moments now. So can you tell us about a one of your proudest moments? Can be work, could be personal. Could this be a highlight of your career, you know? Oh, gosh. 
I need to have a think. One of my proudest moments. Um, well, I know your kids are definitely one of your proudest moments. They are. They are. They're wonderful. They're great. They're definitely one of my proudest moments. I think, I mean, a moment, I'm not sure that this is my proudest moment. I'm just trying to think of, you know, off it could head. Be just a career highlight, if you like. Just a, a highlight that you're proud of. Yeah, something, I think something that I'm proud of is introducing my one of my old workplaces to SEO. So it's um, it is a, a recruitment um agency that is specifically focused on um on black talent um so ethnic minorities but you know um uh also black talent and they um kind of look at um they kind of help uh university um students kind of gain you know good roles when they come out um to help with training help with interview prep that kind of thing Um, yeah, and I brought them into one of my other organisations. So for me, that was great because it was like they at the time didn't have any visibility to these kind of, you know, agencies, yeah. didn't know these kind of agencies existed. Um, and it was a way, I guess, to try and help improve the numbers of, you know, ethnic minorities that are coming into the organisation. So for me, that was really yeah. that was really key. And I love the fact that they kind of took it on board and they kind of ran with it and um, they were really um keen to kind of get involved in the program so that was that was good that was yeah that was huge yeah that is a real thing to be proud of that's nice nice. okay so I wanted to ask you your thoughts about the industry now so what do you think about how the industry will evolve over the next kind of few years what are your thoughts Uh, what are my thoughts you just mentioned about diversity so I thought that was well what I will say if we're looking at if we're looking at this from like a um if we're looking at this from a gender lens, I think that COVID personally, and from, you know, some of the people that I have spoken to, COVID has made it an impact. And I think that has helped a lot of women, especially women, I say within agencies, um, be able to continue to do their roles. And I think that hopefully that will continue. And that will, that will mean that, you know, a lot more women can kind of go through that agency path yeah. Um, and get really senior even though that they even though they have kids and they have childcare responsibilities and that kind of thing mm. um so I, I think that yeah it's massively helped in terms of flexibility yeah, absolutely in terms of not having I guess that that um FaceTime that was you know that was really prevalent you know before before COVID yeah. um so people don't have to they're not chained to their desk till like Definitely. six seven o'clock in yeah. the, yeah, and personally it's completely changed my life completely changed my life I'm, I'm you know way more involved in in what my kids are doing I can do pick up I can do drop off I can do that kind of Brilliant. thing it's, it's so nice. important for your mental it's, health as a parent as well because otherwise you have nothing but guilty pangs of exactly oh, yeah, I'm missing this and I used exactly. to hate missing like you know recitals or things like that you know you exactly. have to shift things around so and now you don't have to yeah Yeah. so I I definitely think I think in that sense I I hope that it kind of you know continues down that path and only gets better for for I think there's no excuse at this point I feel like companies are using excuse or just need to get with the program because you know COVID showed that you can really get along with work remotely you know and you don't have to change your desk and we should be working a bit more flexibly so people who are happy at home can be happy at work as well you know that balance is so important yeah. 100% and I'm glad that it was something that I mean obviously we had to do it when we were in you know 2020 I mean it was something we, we had no choice yeah we had no choice but to do it but I think that it's it was a great thing 
yeah. because it did prove that it can be done. So exactly, exactly. yeah, that was huge. So no more excuses. We worked for how long? You know, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, so it was not, like and nothing went to shit. It was all good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is a bonus. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's all good, isn't it? So, as you've been in the industry for a while, I want to ask: What would you say are the key lessons you've learned throughout your career thus far? Because you know you're still on your career journey. I'm still on my career journey. Um, what, what lessons would you say? Maybe there's a couple of key lessons you've learned. Uh, I mean, representation matters. Yes. That's huge for me. Yeah. Um, actually seeing people within, you know, seeing people that look like you in senior roles, it matters. It's very important. I think organisations yeah. should understand that. It's very important. I agree. Um, allyship has to be more than just words. Absolutely agree with you on that. I- Action is key um, and deliberate action, understanding what the problem is and understanding how you can be a solution, I think yeah, is really important. Absolutely. Um, well, There's some great ones. There's some good ones. Very good ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then I suppose my next question would be for you about uh, advice to young people coming in. So what advice would you give to young people, you know, people of colour in particular that are considering entering the industry? Yeah. Um, I say be careful about the whole code switching thing. As you say, I think there's probably always going to be an element of it, but don't let that detract from who you are. I think being your authentic self is your superpower. Yeah. I think that um, no one is you and there, have, there has to be specific things that only you can bring to an organisation and you'll only be able to do that if you are true to who you are. Yeah. So I think that that is key. Um, be confident because I think that, you know, you're hired because of who you are. And I think sometimes when you are the only, and I've been in this experience, you know, before in my career, there is um, there is an element of kind of wanting to, wanting to blend in. Mm. And so we, you know, diminish ourselves in some way, or we just try and kind of, you know, be the norm and fit into the norm. And mm. um, I, I think that, as I said, being, being your authentic self is your superpower. And um, I think people should always have that in their head, be true to who they are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. And onto mindset before we start wrapping things up. So to me, mindset is so important throughout your, you know, your whole trajectory of your life. And, um, you know, one of the key questions I like to ask people is how do you actually deal with the internal mindset war? You know, sometimes you have your own, how do you manage your own self-limiting beliefs? Because honestly, if you're, you're having a conversation with yourself, usually, you know, and your, your, your inner voice is telling you some negative stuff, like you can't do it or you're not good enough or, you know, that's where imposter syndrome can come, can come from. So how do you manage kind of self-limiting beliefs and that sort of internal mindset? Oh, that's a really good question because I feel like I'm constantly battling that. Like literally I think we all are. I think we all are. Constantly, you know? constantly yeah. battling. But what I do say is that I try and make it tangible. So I try and make specific goals for myself that I can achieve. Or, or that that I want to achieve. And I think that, like, regardless of, you know, that voice in your head that's like, oh, you know, you can't do it or, you're, you, you know, you're not good enough. I think if I have tangible things that I say, well, look, at the beginning of the year, I said that I wanted to do all of this and I've done all of this, then I think that gives me the confidence to kind of keep going, if that makes, yeah. that makes sense. Why so just try and make it as tangible as possible? Yeah. Um, so that it's not about, oh, am I 
am I not? I kind of give myself the proof points. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I've done all of this. Absolutely. So I am, I am good yeah, enough. Yeah, so you are who you say you are. Exactly. I kind of do that. You know, you've got to kind of, you know, be your own cheerleader. Exactly. You have to learn to be your own cheerleader. 100%. And that's not as easy. Sometimes it just takes a bit more when, you know, but yeah. it's, it's, it's spot on, absolutely. And then looking back on your journey in Gozzi, would you do it all over again? Would I do it all over again? Yes. I would definitely do it all over again. I've met some people that have really changed my life throughout my career, I have to say. And I'm so grateful for like the journey that I've been on. I guess like, you know, not coming into comms straight from university, having that that period whereby I worked in a different industry then came into it, which has made me very grateful for yeah. the industry because I really do like it. Yeah. Um, but then also just meeting people who have given me um just have been so inspiring to me um, within my career. I just think I've met the most wonderful people for, during, you know, my career in comms. So I'm oh, that's very, yeah. very grateful for the people that I've met. Okay. Um, so I would, the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've come up to my last two. So this one I like, because it depends on what you get. So what's the best and worst advice you've been given? Oh gosh, I think the best advice is about being my authentic self. I've been given that advice by one particular individual um, who has been probably the biggest influence for me in a positive way in this industry. Um, but yeah, she said to me, don't try and change who you are. When you, you know, whenever you're in an organization, whenever you're in a situation, don't try, don't try and change who you are. Always be yourself. So that was, yeah. I think that's been the best advice. The worst advice. Um, oh, again, this person will remain nameless. Yeah, yeah, of course. But um, <laughs> the worst advice I've probably given is that you have to be a bitch to succeed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I think probably, um, I mean, I, I feel like that's not generally my nature, but probably I did believe that initially at the beginning of my career, mm. that you had to be a horrible person in order to do well. Yeah. Um, I think maybe in some environments and some organizations that might be true I don't know but, but um I kind of feel like actually no I don't think that's ever true <laughs> I think no, I you, can always, no. you don't you don't I, th- I think being assertive is is a good thing yeah um you know pushing back when you need to push back is a good thing but I think that you don't need to step on people to do well no absolutely um, not I agree with you and so that has, that's definitely been the worst advice. I've <laughs> Interesting advice. I'm glad I kind of like, you know. You park that to the side, yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'll park that. <laughs> yeah. Noted, but I won't be moving. Exactly. But okay. <laughs> well, sorry, maybe, maybe that's how they got there. You know, yeah, maybe that's exactly. how they felt they needed to be to get there. But like you said, if we're living our authentic self, then you don't need to be that kind of person, exactly. do you? Exactly. Good point. So lastly... Do you have any rules that you have implemented along your career journey, you know, that you used to kind of help you that you could pass on to others? Rules. Like one of mine used to be, before I started working for myself, one of mine was always, you know, if you cannot get promoted within, then you go out and get promoted. Yeah. You know, so don't let that stop your journey, you know, because sometimes during a company, it's very comfortable, um, but actually there's no career progression, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't progress. Yeah. Sometimes you have to step out or sometimes you're in an organisation and you are passed over for progression. That's your kind of your inclination to say, okay, maybe I should look elsewhere, but don't let it stop your journey. That's one of the things that I try to try and live by. Yeah, I think and I've, I've definitely followed that as well. I, you know, I've moved around a couple of times because of, you know, 
um, different reasons, but yeah. sometimes that reason. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say that. Don't keep keep it moving because yeah. you don't want to be stagnant because people don't recognize your you know your talent. Absolutely, your talent. exactly. So I definitely say that was a key one. And also, just don't get bored. I could, for me personally, the idea of being comfortable, like completely comfortable in a role, makes me like that doesn't motivate me. And yeah. so I kind of I want to be stretched. I want days where I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing but I'm going to try and figure it out and so um, I think when a role starts to get too comfortable for me I think it's time to think about what else I can do what else I can bring in how I can expand it um, right. so that for me is is also a huge also a huge thing no I think I'm quite right absolutely well thank you so much thank you so much Ngozi. it's been amazing speaking to you oh, thank you, you for too. sharing your lived experiences with us on the podcast pleasure <laughs> so for those who are interested in connecting with Ngozi where can they find you let people know um on LinkedIn um do you want me to give yeah. details so just I guess my name so um Ngozi Amagi there you go look up <laughs> LinkedIn you can link in with her there so thank yeah. you so much for joining us this has been Gems in Cons podcast with lovely Ngozi Imagi. And I have been Ebony Gale, your host for today. I'll be back with some more wonderful guests from Com. So stay tuned and see you soon. Sure.